Episode 17 with Crystal Beecham on the Nine Point started with the Dream Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the Nine Point Start with the Dream Podcast. I'm your host as always, Colby Gillum. This episode we have Crystal Beecham. Crystal's on a cool journey to kind of help be a catalyst, kind of make it easier for athletes to pursue entrepreneurship with the NCAA. It's a great mission because so many athletes kind of want to pursue things but can't because they're scared of they may lose eligibility. So it's awesome what she's doing here and hope you enjoy the episode and get a lot of value from it. Here we go. When you're younger as an athlete, what was, what was like one of your biggest goals that you wanted to achieve? <laughs> okay, so the first one, I really wanted to dunk like Kansas Parker. That was like, because seeing like a girl dunk, I'm like, I can, I was like at least this far away from the rim. So I was already really close. So I'm like, I'll be doing extra squats and extra like stuff with legs. Like I'm like, oh, I know I can do this. Um, that was definitely one of my goals. Of course, the next goal was to play at Baylor or Texas a because, of course, I'm a Texas girl. And at that time, Baylor had a really good program. Texas a was really growing their program. So those were, two, like, my two top goals. Clearly, neither one of those got reached. But it's okay, though. I still came out great. And um, so that was, like, one of the goals that I wanted for myself, for sure. Awesome. So, so after that, after you kind of had those goals, how did you kind of go about get the pursuit to kind of make those happen? So. I reached out on my own to Baylor University, and it was rumored. I, I still don't know to this day if they really came to my game, but someone told me that they saw them at one of my games, and they told me before that game. So it's like when you tell someone that, oh, a coach from a university is here, you suddenly start to get nervous, and you start to feel like, oh, I can't mess up. And I played so horrible that game. It was so bad. And um, and then another thing that I did was I reached out to the University of or Texas A&M University, and also one of my shooting coaches at the time he knew one of the coaches, so I went to one of their camps, so that was pretty fun. And um, but I didn't really stay connected with them, and I don't know if it's because I didn't really take the recruiting process very seriously. That's something I I I can say I regret regret, but to this day I don't. I feel like I don't have a lot of regrets because at some time, at one point, I didn't know what I wanted. And also, it's like, you know what you wanted, you just didn't care. And so, um, so looking back, it's like, I wish I would have taken the recruiting process more seriously. Because as an athlete with an ego, you're like, oh, they want me. They're going to reach out to me. Like, I don't have to do anything. But no, you have to put in the work, just like they're putting in the work to try to get to know you. So that's something I, I guess you can say I kind of regret. Definitely. I had that same mindset. I was like, I'm going to play. They're going to see me. They're going to come get me. And then, and then I was like, you know, get my coach's job to come get me recruited. You're like, he's there to either mm-hmm. be there to T-school, um, coach, coach back and get me an offer. That's just three jobs. Everything else is irrelevant. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, it's the coach's job. But technically, it's kind of on you. But a lot of athletes don't know that. And and I tell athletes, it's kind of, it's kind of, when I talk to athletes, it's not that because when people say ignorant, they think it's like a negative connotation, but ignorance is all about if you don't know what you don't know. So if an athlete don't know that their athlete, their coach's job is not, is only to coach them and make them better, they're technically not following 
they're technically only supposed to coach you and to get you better. Yeah, the recruiting part is a bonus, but they have other 10 kids that also want to get recruited as well. Or if you're playing football, it's like 50 other kids. So you have to take you have to take ownership and responsibility of getting recruited and athletes don't know that. So Definitely. So how did you go about your recruiting process then once you kind of realized that those two schools weren't really going to be the one? So thankfully, I had a good mentor as a AAU coach, and he helped a lot with that. He sent me templates of things that I should say and reach out. And then he made sure that when I reached out to him, it was personable. So um, I even now I do a lot of pro bono work um, with a lot of high school athletes, but I'm really selective about who I work with. And so we work with, like, we only go to schools that we know that you'll get a scholarship at, as well as that would, that work within your major. There are a lot of schools that, hey, I want to go to Baylor, but Baylor may not have a chemical engineering degree. So why are you trying to go there if you know long term that that's going to be your career after you graduate? And so um, we, de- we definitely made a list of all the places that had an education major or a psychology major at the time because I didn't know really which one I wanted to do, but we wanted to make sure that each school was going to be sure or had each school I knew that was going to have the education program and a psychology major, as well as I knew I could get a scholarship there. So there were a lot of D3 schools that I cut off my list because they didn't offer athletic scholarships. Um, And so so those were some of the ways that we kind of honed in on like the recruiting process. I think that I think that's good to hear that you helping a lot of athletes don't realize that it's more it's more steps to it than just a highlight tape. Oh, for sure. And people think that and I'm like, that's all you got? And another thing that I have to tell like my um the athletes that I work with is like academics matter because you may be the best player in the world, but you can't go to college if you have a one point seven GPA. I'm like, you can possibly go JUCO, but you're not going D one, definitely not D two. I mean definitely not D one, maybe D two. And um, and then another big thing that I, I try to preach is like social media and um, perfect example. So I have a guy I'm working with and I follow him on Twitter because even though I work with him part time, I still like make sure that I try to keep up with him on social media just because like I know social media is really big for a student to come that want to get recruited, but don't get recruited because a, st- a college or a college coach looks at the social media and like, why are you posting about this? So I'm going through social media and then I see this video and I was like, and I, and I follow some really influential people on Twitter and I'm like, who posted this? Who liked this? Why is this on my timeline? It was an athlete and he liked it. it. He didn't retweet it. He didn't, he liked the photo. I mean, he liked the video and it came up on my timeline. I immediately texted him like, Hey, you need to unlike the video right now because if I can see it, another coach can see it. And so he, I guess he was like, he was really shocked. And then he waited and then he contacted me back. And he, he texted me back and he said, I deleted it. I promise it won't ever happen again. But it goes back to being ignorant. Like he probably liked it and didn't think it would show up on somebody else's timeline. He probably like, yeah, if I retweet it, it's, it is. But he probably didn't even think that. So I think we just have to make sure that student athletes are knowledgeable of the consequences of social media. For sure, I remember like back in the day, you could you could like a photo on Twitter and it wouldn't even show up at all. But now they have it where it's like a tab on your page yes. where, where it says all the things that you like. So, yeah. so you, you can call up real quick with that for sure. Exactly, social media is 
ever changing. But so so once you kind of narrowed it down to what you really wanted and uh, the college and what it meant to you, how did you ultimately decide the school that you went to? All right, so um, I actually went to JUCO first, and uh, because I did tear my ACL, so even when I was talking to like a Division two school or Division one school, um, I think at the time I was talking to SFA and then U of H, um, and it wasn't like really like heavy because like I said, I didn't take the process really seriously. So I was getting down to the wire before I even told my ACL and they wouldn't let me come on a visit. <laughs> and I was just like, well, you can't really blame them. So, um, and then I told my ACL and it was like, it was like ACL, MCL, in and out of meniscus and then I think my cartilage. And, um, and thankfully there was a JUCO coach that came to a couple of my games. And at the time, of course, I thought I was too good for JUCO. And I was like, I'm never going to do because it doesn't even matter if they want me or not going. And um, that was kind of really my only option. And then another option was Division three, But like I said, they don't take – they don't do athletic scholarships. So that was out of the questions, question. And so I decided to go JUCO, um, of course, to get my basics, uh, rehab my knee, get better. And so that was my only option. And then as far as going to Division two, had a better chance um, – Oh, what was it like playing JUCO? Cause I know, that, like me, I kind of had that similar option to go JUCO, and like I, was, and I was scared of like I, like I don't know how this, how, how this works. So what was that? So what was that like going to JUCO, and what was the experience like with that? So my first year, I redshirted because my knee wasn't ready, and I didn't want to rush back, even though I wanted to. But the doctor was like, "No, it's not ready yet." And looking back, I'm like, I'm glad I was able to wait because it made me better in the long run. Um, because, you know, sometimes when you tear your ACL, you know, you have this like limp when you run. And so I was able to actually build up my knee and I was no longer limping. So whenever I wasn't able to be like really con uh, do contact sport. So whenever we do um, five on five, I would like run up and down and I work on I'm working on my running and making sure that I wasn't limping. And so when I finally got to play, they were like, dang, you like you didn't even tear your ACL. And I was like, thanks. I appreciate you. Um, but um, so first year I registered. So the second year I came back better than ever. My shooting percentage was up um, during that summer, during the ACL tear. Um, I went back to my shooting coach. We, we changed up my shot. And um, so because I really wanted to go, still had a chance to go to Division One. And and I think JUCO was possibly the best move for me, not only athletically, but also like academically. Yeah, I had a really good GPA, but my ACTs test sucked, my SAT test sucked. Um, but it was kind of like a, a, a step up from high school. You were still able to still able to enjoy yourself but you were also still able to take classes to work towards your degree so um and it kind of got you ready for the next step if you do go to division two if you do go to division one so you will already be trained and have the time management skills to already prepare um to make sure you keep your grades up and and so that's like my biggest takeaway from being able to go junior uh, juco first that's awesome you said that i think a lot of times our ego gets in the way of a lot of stuff as athletes. Mm -hmm. I think like how you're saying, like for me, like I know I, I could have went to JUCO rap probably to help me in the long run like, as an athlete, but you're saying like how it how going JUCO helped kind of help you kind of progress your career. So I think that's awesome. So once you so you got you got through your JUCO years and you're going you're going to, to that in the next level. 
what you choose? So I chose Division Two, um, and there's a couple of reasons why. Um, there was another school that was really interesting to me. And, of course, you know, you always have that dream of going to Division One, And they were a Division One school. It was in Virginia. I will not say the name only because, like, they still suck. Like, they still suck. Even I, I checked maybe, like, a month ago. Because, like, you always, yeah, I'm not going to say I regret the decision of going to Division One, because you always have, like, oh, I was a Division One player. But so I went to go check, and I was like, but they still suck. They haven't had a winning season in forever. So I don't feel bad. <laughs> for not going there um but they wanted me because they felt like I was a leader that can change the trajectory of their program and um I went JUCO I mean I went division two because there was two reasons well two or three reasons one they had a really good education program and at the time I wanted to be a teacher they had like the best program in the state of Arkansas secondly um they had a there were people that looked like me like representation matters, and so there were a lot of there were a lot of professors and deans that looked like me, like they were black, and I was like, oh my gosh, like yeah, this is a PWI, but most of my professors are going to be black. So, and growing up in school, like I only had like one black teacher, so being able to see educated individuals teach on the college level, I saw that, and I wanted to I wanted to be a part of that. And then the third thing was I got a really good friend that at the time was going there. But the crazy thing is, like, I wasn't even going to go there because their coach was so crazy. Like, I've heard horror stories where, like, if they lost, he would burn their pizzas. Or, like, if they lost, like, a game and they didn't do well, he would give them Subway sandwiches with no meat. And so it would be, like, some weird story. Like, they would have, like, basically he was doing illegal things in the NCAA. And, um, And so I was like, you know what? I love this school. I do, but I'm not going here. So I had already made up in my mind I didn't go there. But the coach ended up getting fired, and then the assistant coach came back to me and was like, hey, I know you love this school. I know you love the visit. I am now the new coach. Would you want to come? And I said, yeah. Um, but, of course, things didn't change out. I really didn't like that coach when I decided to go there. And then he got fired. So I had, like, three coaches in three years. So you can imagine the anxiety a lot of my teammates felt getting a new coach and having to prove yourself once again. But overall, like, the experience was amazing, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, Division two definitely set me up for success, not only in my graduate program, but also in entrepreneurship and, like, in life. Definitely a journey. So, so kind of, like, leading towards what we're doing today, so how did you get the idea for the FAU? How did that come about? Crazy thing is, is that I was at the University of Arkansas, and there was a lot of things that I saw, because at first, SAU was going to be a recruiting service, because there were a lot of things that I wish I knew in the recruiting process, and so it started out as that, and then looking, because I started for 10 months, and then I started to pivot, but before the research, and then during the time when I was having clients and stuff, I was able to research and find a lot of free products as well as a lot of a lot of products that you can get for like fifty dollars or less. And you were able to they were like tangible items that you can keep, whereas paying in CSA like three thousand dollars, fifteen hundred dollars. And yes, the program or the business it is a social enterprise, so I was able to lower my prices for low socioeconomic families and single parent households. 
yeah, my rates were like $25 an hour. And even then people were telling me my prices were too low for the value that I was adding. But it's like, I can tell people that they can go get these free resources and do a pro bono and then still help enough people. And then I can work on some other things within my business that I know can not only make a living for myself, but can provide more value and content. And so I started to pivot. And I started making it more about collegiate athletes and helping them make career and business opportunities, considering that I did start my first business when I was in college. It wasn't direct sales, so, you know, that's different. But still still kind of like the same component. And, um, and so I'm like, you know, what if I can teach other people how to do what I'm doing and to create businesses but still be eligible within the NCAA and then helping them create career opportunities because some athletes are – even though we they call us student athletes, most of them are athletes. Like they don't, they're not really able to do a lot of things that students are able to do. And so, I really want to connect them with companies and organizations that can allow them to get internships. Um, so that definitely, that's really the premise and the mission of what I'm doing with Student Athletes Unite. And um, I think me being at the University of Arkansas had a lot to do with it because I was able to see college athletics on a bigger scale. Um, because going to Division One is totally different than Division Two, and even in the academic side, I was able to see all the free resources that college athletic, I mean college athletes at a Division One level have access to. Whereas Division Two, II, Division Three, and AI, JUCO, they don't have the access to that. So it's like I wanted to be able to provide the same access and resources to Division Two, II, Division Three, and then even like. There are some lower Division One schools like HBCU schools that don't have those same resources. So I really want SAU to be the resource that a lot of those a lot of those schools and student athletes can use. That's awesome. So so the entrepreneurship route. What what do you mean by staying compliant with NCAA? For those that don't so, know, so um, NCAA student athletes are unable to make money off their likeness. So um, they can't use their image, they can't use their, what else, their following. Um, so for example, I don't know if you, I don't know if you've heard about uh, Donald Hay from the UCL, um, and then I think it's Kevin Trey Trano. Um, he's from, he's from Texas a He's a cross country runner who actually created a business while he was a high school athlete. Went to Texas A&M, still doing his business, but the NCAA told him that he, was, he wasn't he was compliant because he was using his athletic ability to, like, promote his brand. But it's like he already had a business in high school, and he brought it to college, and he didn't even know the rules and regulations. So how can he be compliant, or how can he be ruled compliant if he doesn't know? And so, and it also goes back to ignorance. They don't know what they don't know. If we don't educate the student-athletes, are creating businesses while in college, the same problem is going to be happening. The, you want to, the NCAA is still going to get the negative attention, like why are you like why are you not allowing these kids? So now they have to choose between being a business or being a student athlete where they don't have a business. Considering that a lot of student athletes don't even get full rides. Like he's a cross country runner. He's definitely you know he's definitely not getting a full ride. He's probably getting like a partial. So it's like if the student athlete is unable to do that or what if what how can we help them still create businesses but also be compliant 
And then, so I'm actually creating a program that's going to help the student athlete, the NCAA, and the college and university promote student athlete entrepreneurship within the NCAA governance. And of course, there's still a debate about student athletes not getting paid, but what if we can offset that with helping them create businesses and then still being compliant so that the NCAA is actually wanting to help those student athletes. And so that's really the whole premise or the whole point of like creating SAU Academy and um, and then allowing the student athletes to actually have a business and still be a student athlete because they're already doing it. A lot of them don't have time, but you make time for what you want. So if I can actually help have a program to help the student athlete do that, then that's what, that's what I want to do. So, so I'm always interested in seeing different different athletes like create a business and how it works within compliance because like that's something that I'm really interested in because there's one guy he created a t-shirt company he was a walk-on but he was really eligible so it's like he's a walk-on he's not even getting paid by the school but yet he's really eligible because he's still a college athlete and then um, there's another athlete that has a startup or works with a startup as like the CMO and he was actually able to raise money off of his connections as a student athlete. So it's like, what, in what way is he eligible, but the other one isn't eligible? And so I'm just really interested in like learning about other people's, other people's journeys. So where do you, so where do you see this, this growing, you know, as you continue to kind of, kind of map this out a little bit, where do you hope it to be? Oh my gosh. So what, of course, I want the program to be in all universities um, across the NCAA. So Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, And then I um, also want to create the same program for NAI um, schools. Um, but I know their rules and regulations are different than the NCAA. So that's going to be like the number one goal. My second goal is through the internship program. And as you know, a lot of student athletes are unable to get internships because of their scheduling and the conflict because there's no way a powerhouse football player or a powerhouse football coach is going to allow his star quarterback or his star running back to go get an internship at Nike for three months straight. It's not going to happen. Oh, so how are you going to work out? How are you going to do this? So the goal I have for it now is, well, in the future, I want – a student athlete to be able to go go be an intern uh, at Nike for like two to four weeks just to get that experience, just to get that experience under their belt so they can say, you know what, I worked at Nike or I internshiped at Nike. And then so in my mind, it's like I'll be able to set up student athletes with internship with the top companies, organizations, agencies that would allow them to build their resume because a lot of student athletes only have athletics as a resume and being able to do, like, voluntold opportunities. Like, you don't even like doing that stuff. And so it's like, imagine if you go to, like, go to a sports team and, like, hey, I worked for Nike for, like, four weeks, and I worked this place my sophomore year, and I worked this place my junior year. Now you have, now you have experience. Now they can do something with you. And so right now I'm calling it like my MVP, where you'll be able to subscribe to my newsletter where I'll be putting like curated opportunities where whether it is internships, graduate assistantships, volunteer opportunities, um, and then the internships that I do feature, they're all paid and they're all three months.
so far because that's what I've been able to find. And so I'm going to build relationships with those people that I've been able to feature or those companies and organizations. So when I do decide to go and take the big leap, then I want to be able to say, hey, I have like 10,000 subscribers with like a 60% open rate. Um, and these have been, these colleges or these uh, college athletes have been able to intern internship with you. You've been able to change the tra trajectory of their lives. How do you feel about partnering with us and then making these internships like two to four weeks? So that's a whole plan and the whole goal I have for it. But overall, I want it to be a digital platform for student athletes to learn career and business opportunities. Um, there are other platforms similar to me, quote unquote, but it's like they don't help them until after they're it's like, oh, you're done with college athletics, so let's see if we can help you get a job. But it's like you're not you're not helping them through the process. You're not helping them with their freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year. What are you doing between those years? How are you helping them? Because it's kind of too late whenever they're done. It's like you you know they don't they don't hold as much weight as oh I have a current athlete that's coming to intern at Octagon in New York or something. They don't have that weight, but because once you're an athlete, it's kind of like, you're done. Like, they don't care about you anymore. Yeah, that's the whole goal of SAU. So it should be fun. The journey should be fun. And then, because even now, like, I've been talking to a lot of college athletic administrators. And, yeah, they teach or they do, like, some of them do classes, like, entrepreneurship. And it's like, oh, they their their eyes get open. Okay, their eyes get open, but what are you what are the next steps? Like how are you helping them like, oh, you wanna start a business? Okay, cool. I can show you a lot of and then I'm pretty sure you know that every year or every semester well, I think it's probably like every year because I know ours was in August, we would have a we would have a like we called it I forgot what we called it, like a powwow type thing where all the college athletes Athlete, athletes would come together and we would talk about compliance but it's like they would talk oh don't take money from the boosters don't do this make sure you stay eligible but they never talk about hey if you want to create a business this is how you can do it and I feel like you don't you a lot of college athletics don't even give them the opportunity and then of course student athletes are just like oh I'm going to create a business and then of course they become ineligible and don't even know um and then, yeah, it's just like, it's just some things that I saw working at college athletics that I feel like I can turn around within my business. That's cool, though. Like, I'm glad that there's being stuff that's being made for athletes now. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. cause a lot of stuff is so fan-driven. That's about making some guy in, a, in, a, in the office, the top office in the suit, making make, make him make money, but nothing about helping athletes. So I think that's dope that we're getting that way now. So. Yeah. Cool, cool. This has been dope. So I'm going to find more about, about you and where you're working on social media accounts, um, Instagram, website. Yeah, so just completed the website. Um, I actually got a text from, I call her my email campaign coordinator because she's actually created my template for me, and I'm so thankful. Um, and so that should be going out within the next 24 hours. And then, um, and then so in each newsletter, I feature three athletes, two to three, this, this month is going to be three because it's my first one. I feature three athletes that are working within their industry or their dream, their dream job. I have one, he is a former HBCU player um, and he's working at the NFLPA. So then I have another girl, um, she's a division two student 
or student athlete, she was a cross country runner and she's working um, in, in Oregon. And um, so, you know, that's known as track country. <clears throat> so that's a place she's always wanted to move and she works as a physical therapist. And then I have one uh, division one volleyball player. She works as a teacher. So she grew up always wanting to be a teacher. So she's doing that. And then um, that launches, like I said, next 24 to 48 hours. And so right now it's like, I'm trying to build up my content as well as like my social media platform because it's like all these good things are happening to me. But it's like, I know like social presence and social blueprint is also big within today's age. And it's like, how can I do that as well as like separate myself from the business? Because like, I want my business to be bigger than me. Like, I want to be that person like, oh, she she's a really great founder, but she only has like 2000 followers. But my social media impact has like reaches like well over like 90,000 followers and I'm able to like partner with all these corporate companies and organizations like I'd rather be the small person and rather my brand be big where if they know SAU if they see SAU they know that's me type thing um so the next step right now is to like use social media to brand over the next couple of days or the next couple of months as well as like build up my subscribers list cool cool great talking with you Same. I'll let you through Washington and we'll be in touch soon all right I'll talk to you later Just Thanks for checking out this episode of the Nine Point Starter with the Dream Podcast. I was your host, Jacoby Gillum. If you enjoyed the episode, please comment, share, leave a review, love to hear your thoughts. You can check out more about what we're doing with Nine Point at ninepoint.com. Until the next episode, talk to you soon.